Want access to richer content and exclusive analysis on the business of sport? Sports Pro Plus is used by experts across the industry to make informed decisions, with two membership tiers offering access to original content, exclusive reports, and a suite of business intelligence tools. Become a member today at sportspromedia.com forward slash subscribe and use the code FCPOD10. That's FCPOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello and welcome to the Football Co. Business Podcast. My name is John Holmes. I'm a journalist, I'm a media consultant and I'm the founder and lead of Sports Media LGBT+. I'm taking over for this special episode uh, from the regular host, Alex Manby. And to mark Pride Month, we'll be looking at how the media handles conversations about sexuality and gender identity in football. What's been done well, what's been done not so well, and with the final season of Ted Lasso having covered this topic, we'll be looking at how film and TV shows and wider sports culture contribute to the discussion. I'm really pleased to be joined today by Erin Williams, who is the Sports Programs Manager at the charity Stonewall. Hi, Erin. Hello, and thank you for having me. Great to be here. You're very, very welcome. And also with us is Jack King, and Jack covers film and TV for publications including GQ and Vulture, and often with a focus on LGBTQ characters and storylines. Hey, Jack. Thank you for having me too. Hi there. So to start, shall we try to sum up where we think the press is at in terms of its handling of sexuality in football. We know that this is a topic from the 80s, the 90s, the noughties that has not been covered particularly well. But have things changed and, and where are we at now, Erin? What's your take on that? Yeah, I think I mean I think things are are getting better. We're not perfect yet. Um but if we look at back in back in the yeah, as you say, the eighties, nineties and, and the noughties where um players like Justin Fashion who were literally hounded by the press, uh, forced out, put into very, very unsafe situations. Um it it was it was probably a blocker to to more people wanting to come out across any sport, not just in football. Um and now we look at where it is now and we've had some players come out, um, former players, current players, Jake Daniels coming out last year with huge support from um from Sky and the and the and you know, the journalists that he worked with there. So and general, generally, the coverage of it was was positive, um, and from the media side, I think where we need to be careful is all of those, you know, speculative pieces of, you know, the the cloudy, blocked out head, or oh my god, we think that somebody might be gay, and you know, he's got a boyfriend on his team, and who is it? Who is it? Um, and then I think there's also a big piece, um, which hopefully we'll get to later, around the the gender part of it when with um with women's footballers you know last year with the lionesses and having seven out players on the team but actually seeing how their orientation was covered um it wasn't always as positive as i kind of thought it was going to be so it's it's just you know it's an evol- it's constantly evolving um i think it's better now than it was 10 years ago but we still need to keep the work going so that we can keep moving forward jack this approach that we are more traditionally familiar with in terms of press coverage of trying to run stories about secret, mystery, gay and bisexual male footballers has kind of perpetuated what's often termed as a search-like culture mm-hmm. in football. Um, that can be really, really damaging. Um, is, is that kind of your perceptions of, of this type of reporting as well? Well, I mean, thankfully, and you know, I speak anecdotally here, but uh, you know, I, I think it's perceived within wider society as being less ethically and morally permissible, um, as with a, a lot of more salacious tabloid angles um, on reportage around queerness in football and sexuality in football. Um, I've certainly seen less of it, but there is still that cycle as we were, as we identified off mic, where, you know, every six to 12 months, it seems there's a new story, like um, two of England's players in the national team are in a relationship or something like that. Don't quote me on who is putting out that false reportage, or I shouldn't say false, but, you know, that, that uh, like I say, salacious reportage. Um, but, you know, it's, I, I, I'd like to think that there is more more of a robust approach. Um, it's, um, 
I, 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 yeah, I just, I, I think the, um, the question of how permissible and acceptable it is has shifted with our attitudes towards sexuality, towards sexuality more broadly within society as equality has moved and as the pendulum has swung in the direction toward favorable towards the queer population. Um, and I use queer as shorthand, of course, for LGBTQ+. Um, I think we've seen the same thing with football. However, we know that in some respects, the footballing ecosystem is still a little bit behind. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that regardless of the statistical likelihood, and this is entirely speculative, so maybe I'm actually contradicting <laughs> the point and I'm being one of those terrible reporters who is, you know, kind of perpetuating silhouette, um, sorry, not silhouette culture, um, you, you described it as um, searchlight, uh, searchlight culture. culture, sorry. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's um, strange to me that nobody has felt able speculating that there would be one person within the 600, 650, 700 active players in the Premier League haven't felt able to come out. Aside from, you know, an, an anomalous example, as of recent, like Jake Daniels, for a youth player for, for Blackpool, who's been relegated to League One. Apologies to any Blackpool fans who are listening. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk a bit more about the Jake Daniels story, because this was the first time that we've had, you know, that positive representation in men's football for many, many years of, of, a, of a gay footballer. Erin, um, you were involved uh, in that sort of journey for Jake in, in, in a capacity. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the role that you did, you were able to play. Yeah, absolutely. So um, at Stonewall, we run um, life skills sessions with the Premier League, the EFL through an organisation called League Football Education and the WSL. Um, through Loughborough College. And this is all part of the sort of holistic education that players get that's been growing up over the course of the last few years um, from, you know, age nine to 23. And a lot of it is on, you know, focusing on for us, it's age appropriate. We talk about anti-bullying. Um, we talk about being yourself. We talk about being an inclusive teammate. And this comes alongside other organizations like Kick It Out and um, Sporting Chance who do mental health and anti-racism and there's financial awareness, there's all these other things. So we're part of that bigger package. And we've seen um, since 2020 a, a growth in the delivery that we've had and just you know, clubs and, and player care managers and academy managers being really, really keen to have this conversation within their clubs, which is great. Like this is coming from them, not not us. Um, so we went up to Blackpool last year as part of this to do some sessions. And when I was up there, you know, their, their player care manager, Will, who was a great, great, oh my goodness, really sort of top practice in what he was doing, um, sort of told me that one of their players had come out to the staff, come out to his family, hadn't yet come out to the team, um, but was thinking about going really public. And he wanted to make sure that the wider club had the education piece so that they can best support him. So we ran sessions. I actually ran a session for Jake's team. He was in the room. I didn't know which one he was, um, but his teammates were honestly like, so we have, it's very interactive. They were a answering the questions fantastically. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, my work here is is almost just putting the icing on the cake. Like they've, they've got this culture that's been built up through the ethos of led by player care teams and the, you know, the parental support. Um, so that was to, to just ensure that they were, that Jake would be okay. And then I had some one-on-one -on -one time with Jake um, answering various questions um, from my own experiences in coming out. And I've said this in previous podcasts is that it, it's, it's very strange, actually, like different genders, different, different nationalities, different sport, 20 years apart, but how mirrored our experiences were. And his was actually like the better version if of mine went, you know, badly and his went very well. And that's just to show the progress of actually what can happen you know, when you have the support, when you have the parental support. Um, but yeah, it was, and that sort of carried on and covered and we keep carrying on these sessions uh, throughout across this year. And, um, you know, I continually to be, to con continue to be really, really impressed with what we get when we go into football clubs. So, I mean, I can't make a big, broad sweeping statement about everything, but anecdotally, what we're finding is the problem is not the clubs themselves, whereas maybe 20 years ago, 
that might have been the case. I think there's a there's a bigger scene to look at, but I think we need to give especially the young players credit for for just knowing that they want include they want to be inclusive as teammates. They want everybody to play well. They want to make their teammate you know feel included so he can play well so that the other guy can look good, you know, and then then therefore carry on and get contract. It's all in everybody's best interest to to be inclusive. So yeah, that's where that's sort of a great example of how it's the education is working. It's really heartening, positive to hear. Because I, I recall, um, you know, I, I don't have dates to hand, but I think four or five years ago there was a report commissioned by the government called Homophobia in Sport. Mm. I think one of the takeaways and the key takeaways I recall from that was that they identified homophobia and casualized homophobic language within the youth system being a particular issue in terms of homophobia within the sports. You know, and that proliferates upwards, right? That was carried through, and it also on on the question of there being. Um, you know, uh, on the question of speculating whether there could be queer players um, who are closeted in the Premier League or the Championship or indeed like players like Jack Daniels, um, you know, people uh, or it depends on when you feel that you find your queer identity and kind of what age then. And I know that's entirely subjective, but, you know, at least if you're feeling kind of notionally different because of something you can't quite identify within the framework of sexuality at a young age, you'd feel ostracized by that kind of language. And you, yeah. that, that, that's to me, I, I know that this is something that people uh, do uh, talk about all the time. And it's, it's, uh, I mean, it seems to me to, to be a constant in the conversation around, um, queerness and, um, sexuality in football and in, in the men's game is that, um, you know, that could be a leading cause as to why we haven't seen mm-hmm. um, an openly gay player in the in the top league yet, um, because those people who or those queer people who might otherwise come through are kind of put off at the root. Yeah, and actually, I think that's that's something that when I talk about the football clubs, you know, that's mm. that's the elite level. Mm. So that's not grassroots. That's not school. That's not a kick around down the block. And I think that's where our our research still shows that that is the case. And, you know, we've we've put it out in our school report. There is an example of a young person saying, you know, he got homophobic bullying when he made a mistake in football, but he never got homophobic bullying in chemistry class when he didn't get an equation right. And actually how tied it is to if you are struggling in sport, then you must be gay. But if you're struggling in math and or in chemistry, then like that's no tie to somebody's orientation. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we I think part of it is I can speak for the the elite level in that case. There's still so much to be done across the wider scene. Hopefully, maybe you know we do know that research is that people are going to look at what's being said at the elite level, and then hopefully that can trickle trickle down. But how far that's going into the attitudes of one 13-year-old, for example, um, affecting the entirety of school football culture, boys' football culture. Uh, you know, that's 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 another piece of the puzzle. Yeah. yeah. And you know, bringing this story, bringing Jake's story to public attention was kind of the, his decision. Mm-hmm. And then there was a lot of support that went on around him in order to, to deliver that through Blackpool, through Sky Sports, yeah. you know, who's ultimately carried that first interview. And one of the things that I really liked about the way that was delivered was the fact that the player care manager at Blackpool, who you mentioned, will, you know, he was also able to kind of talk about that from his experience. And I thought it really helped to give that kind of whole picture of how a club would approach a, a, an issue, mm-hmm. a, an issue like this and would be able to, to help Jake navigate his way through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was interesting. I was doing a session with another club, um, same age group who played Jake. And this might be the, the group of people you might think might be the worst, you know, and they were all just saying, they were lauding his praise. They were like, oh, he had that one, you know, all over the pitch and he scored against us. And we, you know, we, we they just respected him so much. And I think that came from the way that, that it was portrayed on Sky and, you know, in, in the rest of the media picking it up. Um, and with that agency, that you know, Jake and his family and that Blackpool as a team had through being able to choose where it was going to go out, make sure that he was going to get best taken care of. You know, we did loads of work with him on risk assessments beforehand, but it turned out he didn't really need it. Um, But if it was portrayed differently, who's to say that other club might have thought differently and then they're also the, and then going off into their own environment so it is that again trickle across effect which i think was really strongly portrayed by the positive story in the media yeah, yeah. and 
of course, coming out isn't just a one-off experience. And and for Jake, even though he's not particularly high profile in football, yeah, he's not playing for the first team. Mm-hmm. You know, he's had to kind of go through his first year of being a visible LGBTQ figure and mm-hmm. doing interviews, which which has kind of led us to learn more about him. Mm-hmm. Um, that inevitably has led to some pers- more personal information coming out. And that has been picked up in the media recently, the relationship that he's in with an older mm-hmm. man and, and how that's been how that's been covered. I, I don't know, Jack, what your kind of perceptions have been around the reporting of of that part of Jake's story. Well, um, it's, um, it's disheartening. I think, um, I think there have, I, I, I mean, look, I'm, I'm very, um, I, I, I'm, I'm at least a, a little sympathetic to, um, the, the, the questions of safeguarding and stuff around him and, and the, 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 the age gap discourse as it, as it proliferates online and in, in social media, um, platforms and stuff can, can so often be stripped of nuance. Um, I, I interviewed Jake for, um, for GQ. We had an hour together on zoom. Um, and he told me about his partner, um, and when we spoke, I just, I remember thinking in the back of my head, you know, this isn't, I'm not publishing this because I don't, I don't feel as though it's ethical because, um, I knew how it would be perceived. Um, I didn't feel as though, um, it was kind of my, my, I, I didn't, I don't know. I felt as though it was my, my, my journalistic integrity was kind of out, out, outweighed by ethical treatment of the subject and that question. Um, and and of course it came out, I think, because he said, um, said a similar thing to attitude. And I, and I, um, and I, I spoke to, or perhaps it was gay times, but I, I spoke to his publicist about it and, you know, it makes all of the sense in the world that Jake wants to be open about all of these things because he's had to hold back so much for such a long time. You know, when he, when we spoke, um, as we, as I recall, I forgive me, the interview was about three or four months ago, you know, how print <laughs> long lead stuff works. Um, you know, I, I think he told me that it was a very young age that he realized that he was, he was, he was, um, he was gay. And, you know, we've, I, I, I'm, I'm gay. I felt that weight of, um, personal suppression and a, you know, personal oppression so strongly, it's it's hard not to understand why he would want to be open with something that some people unfortunately feel is taboo. Um, however, I think this all kind of comes back to the fact, and I, I don't want to keep on hammering this, but Jake's story shouldn't be remarkable. That's the fundamental point. Jake's story should not be remarkable. He should enjoy the freeing anonymity of being a young player coming through for the first time in, uh, you know, and I, I don't say this to disparage the team or or Jake's footballing ability or anything like that. That's not what I'm measuring. It's the fact that he he should be able to ply his trade and play his sport and train and get as good as he aspires to be um, without all of the attendant public scrutiny of coming out. And I commend him for coming out, but it shouldn't, it fundamentally shouldn't be a story. That this, that was the crux of my profile that I wrote for GQ is, is he's, um, he's, he's one of our, our heroes subjects, you know, but that's, that was just my, my feeling is actually of quite a, I guess quite an intense sadness even talking to him because, because, you know, like all, all of, yeah. It feels very late. It feels very, very late. And for an 18-year-old, so well he has he has taken on his shoulders to be levied with that scrutiny, as I say, it just, just seems really, really unfair. Mm. Um, and I, and think, yeah. I think, you know, all of this additional discourse around Jake has not come from sports media. No. It's come from the news media. It's come from, you know, interviews that have been done, which where might not necessarily understand his journey as a footballer so much as mm. holding him up to be a role model, um, uh, for LGBTQ people. So there's a lot to put on a young man's shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, that's the reality and Jake's story is evolving and, you know, we wish him well and we look forward to, to how his career blossoms, but we have seen a different approach to you know, a gay footballer story with this latest season of Ted Lasso, mm. the Apple TV drama, um, the final season. And uh, in this in this storyline, one of the first team players, Colin Hughes, um, has a coming out journey that plays out over the course of the season. When, when we first saw this story being sort of teased, being kind of introduced, Aaron, how did you think that would happen? How would that play out for Colin? 
Yeah, it's interesting because I think I read... Um there are areas of it that I picked up earlier in the seasons. Um, you know, he mentions Grinder in season two. He, he mentions a few things. Um, but it wasn't, I just sort of dismissed it, to be honest. Um, I didn't quite register. And then in in the episodes, episode three, when he's, you know, he's there with a, with a partner, a, a friend, a a friend, a gal pal. Um, <laughs> that ambiguity. <laughs> a friend would benefit. Can yeah. I say that? Um, I, 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 yeah. I asked Billy Harris about that. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, no, we think he's a boyfriend. I'm yeah. Like, okay, cool. I, uh, yeah. A man. And who, um, you know, and it's seen as, seen as very much like he's had a coming out already. It's not his, he's all of a sudden outed under the, you know, in the shades of a, dark nightclub or he's only discovering it and having that eureka moment in you know on the team which i did see think was a lot more advanced than what we've seen in a lot of other shows god going back 20 years ago um and i was i was excited i was like i love it when i get to see queer things on sports programs um on anything it's still at that point of um representation is still important but as as it went on um it's actually a really hard question because I I read the spoilers before I saw episode six, so oh, I knew. Really? Yeah. Okay. So cool. I, knew, I usually spoiler reverse. Or? Yeah. No. 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 I just want to know. I'm the person <laughs> that reads the end of the book first. I suppose. Um, oh, no, I love it's, that. Very, it's very close to home that. with your, your day job. Yeah. It so is. You probably felt you had to be. A it is. I had so many people texting me, be like, "Have you seen it? Have you seen it?" Mm-hmm. Um, and I was actually really pleasantly surprised when I saw how Trent Krim, as the journalist, handled it, um, and I could kind of see his. Owen's storyline carry on from season one where he was this, you know, quite, I don't know, English, <laughs> you know, football journalist to, you know, to a new guy, to Ted Lasso, but not mean just doing his job, but being able to turn on those areas of of editing and empathy. And, you know, we've all, I've definitely been there as a person in my 30s who've been out for a very long time, working with young people coaching them seeing them and seeing them mirror my journey and just be like right this is the moment to be that person I wish I had um and I think Trent does that I would have loved to see more like I want a spin-off I want to, the rest of the series to just be about Colin and Trent and their journey but I like <laughs> gay things so yeah. <laughs> that's where we are with it. and Keely you know yeah. <laughs> throw her in there as well um but you know I think it was handled really well yeah. Jack, this is probably more comfortable territory for you than Academy Youth Team setups. <laughs> and you right. wrote about it for GQ, particularly that episode, um, middle of the season, where Colin and Trent have a conversation, mm-hmm. which leads to them sharing these truths about themselves. Like Maybe for people who haven't seen that conversation, why was it so impactful in what I think we might both agree was quite an up and down final season for the show. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure we'll get onto the trajectory of Colin's um, characterization, his his storyline um, uh, is soon. But you know, in, in that episode, I, like like uh, you've already touched on, um, I thought it was refreshing that. Trent, you know, wasn't just depicted in that kind of um, stereotypical journalistic way, where he's kind of like, you know, let the scoop get a get the better of him, and you know, he's, he's taking the immoral route. Um, and then, of course, we 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 find out why is because he is, you know, he's 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 also gay. Um, and you know, I, I I think the forthrightness and the honesty of the conversation they share is is really 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 impactful and sweet. Um, you know, I, I I don't know if I touched on it on the piece, um, but I I there was something that irked me slightly about Colin's even even Colin's speech as much as you know it kind of it kind of fits within that kind of saccharine niceness that Ted Lasso was uh, was was always kind of like summed up <laughs> summarized by, but it's um yeah, there's just this bit where he's like you know I just want to kiss I just want to kiss my is he a geezer or something like that my fella my fella yeah no it's like I've never heard a gay man say that. <laughs> Okay, Um, but no, I um, no, I I thought it was a really nice way for that for that storyline to pan out, Um, and you know, kind of. um, I'm not going to use a superlative like revolutionary or something like that, but I mean, it was, it was, it was significant to see the the the, that kind of story unfolding, Um, and you know, obviously incredibly timely, timely, and 
you know, re reflective of the the conversations that we're having and, and have had today. It's 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 um you know it was it was really refreshing to see. Yeah, and there were various elements to it. The location where they filmed that was this Homer mm -hmm. Monument in yeah, Amsterdam, monument, yeah, exactly. which is this you know, really important, triangle. yeah, important yeah. kind of memorial to LGBTQ plus people. Uh, Aaron, mm, was sorry, the symbolism of that, of course, reflecting the pink triangle that the Nazis put on um, they put on um, homosexual people when they incarcerated them in camps and murdered them. Yeah, and yeah. it was it was kind of evidence the level of research that mm -hmm. had gone into creating that that scene and and both actors have also spoken about the research that they did individually to to, yeah. to learn about you know what um older i guess gay gay men in in the case of trent crim but hmm. also you know colin being in a male dominated environment uh erin i mean what do you think you might be able to take from that in the work that you do for for, Sto for stonewall i guess it's it's a it's a very different story to to one we've seen play out in real life in terms of Jake Daniels, and it is slightly utopian, I guess, in in its in in the way it's portrayed. But there are some really useful pointers, I think, that we can learn. Yeah, I think. I mean, at the end of all the sessions I do with with adults, young people, whatever, I give them a list of shows to watch, um, and the show that list has come from maybe about two shows about about LGBT inclusion in sport. Um, you know, two shows two or three years ago. To all of a sudden, we've got you know, Heartstopper and um, Big Boys, which isn't sport related, but is male friendship related. And then when this episode came out, I was like, well, this is going on and everybody will have seen it. And it really gets the conversation going with people. Um, and people might say, oh, I've seen this already or I haven't seen it. So I think, first of all, it's a really good way of of seeing a topic that is so important and that is my job to go around and help educate people on almost half done for me because it's happening on television mm. and I felt I said this when I you know and I saw Heartstopper and I am a massive fan so I had to get it into conversation mm. here but um, <laughs> I think it's it's something with the sweetness of Ted Lasso Heartstopper was the same like it's it's really sweet um, but after so many years of the like murder your gays trope of you know spoiler alert Dana Fairbanks dies in season three of, of the L word like <laughs> you know all of these things of somebody having the worst ever ending and Dana being a professional tennis player um to all of a sudden it's this is the this is a story that I wish non-LGBTQ plus people could see that it's it's not all doom and gloom and there's power in giving us support and and actually having that come through the allyship of Colin's teammates and mm -hmm. the sensitivity that Trent gives and the realization that, you know, not all journalists are, you know, bad, which I know you're not, but, you know, I know you're not. Um, but it's, it's this whole idea that, of, <laughs> of, of that. Um, it brings that humanity into it. And I think that's that's what Ted Lasso does across the board. Mm -hmm. um, and I also think, like I say this as as an American who's grown, who's lived in the UK for 17 years, I liked it because my friends in Ed, all over the States were watching it. And it was a really good insight from this cross global, well, cross Atlantic um, perspective. That's, this is how English football can be portrayed. And here it's portrayed almost on its best behavior because the States is watching. And then this is like the American sport comedy on its best behavior because England's watching. And I think that that added to this sort of bigger conversation around this isn't just about, um, you know, one person's story at this point in time. Mm -hmm. It's look at how universal this message is. Mm -hmm. Jack, when when you think about the TV shows that you watched kind of growing up, the way that LGBTQ plus people were portrayed, I mean, we've had in the last sort of 20 years or so, very kind of sensationalized, I think, attempts to to show what a gay footballer's journey might be like in yeah. shows like Footballer's Wives, which was very popular at the time. And then more recently, yeah. Coronation Street has had a gay footballer storyline as well. So it's the soap opera sort of focus. But sure. are you kind of reassured that, you know, because... The kind of the cultural depictions of of LGBT people, particularly in somewhere like men's football, where we don't have those out role models, can actually really sort of begin to help to change the culture of those sports as well. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I must say Footballers' Wives is a little bit before my time, so I'm not so familiar in Coronation Street would have been after I stopped watching. But, <laughs> when when um, you said salacious earlier, Footballers' Wives was the <laughs> definition. <laughs> right. I can assure you. I, I, I've, I've, uh, I've heard. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, you talk about um, the kind of representation that I grew up with in terms of um, queerness in the media. I think the first gay relationship I remember seeing on TV on the subject of soaps was actually Christian and Said in EastEnders, which I guess would play circa late 2000s, early 2010s. Um, and then, of course, that that operated as a great springboard for me to go and, you know, start watching queer cinema and other queer TV shows that existed and showed like a whole cornucopia of different queer experiences and gay experience, lesbian experiences, trans experiences, etc. Um, but I think what is notable about something like Ted Lasso um, and, and indeed Heartstopper mm. is that these are positive stories, maybe, you know, the pointy-doity critic walking into the room, <laughs> stripped of nuance and, you know, and the complexities that I think make good character writing in TV, but something like Heartstopper or Ted Lasso, that's not what it's for. It's for that, 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 that like syrupy niceness. It's for positive affirmation and representation. Um, and it's good to, it, it's, it's heartening to see those things on a platform as big as Netflix. You know, Netflix, you know, has superseded um, network television in terms of the amount of people who watch it and the amount of people who subscribe. You know, more people um, would have access to, uh, I, I would imagine, would have access to something like Heartstopper um, than, you know, would would watch would watch it on if it, if it was to air on the BBC. Um, you know, and that is fantastic for, for kids who are growing up and, and seeing those things, or indeed, we're, Ted Lasso kind of being being able to even if you are hypothetically a you know a, a you know a teenage like a, a, an adolescent kid like, you know like you're 12 13 14 or whatever and you're really like football but you can kind of like feel feel those early kind of embers of queerness brewing in you um and you think that oh this is you know this is this is um, oxymoronic. You know, this this doesn't work. This doesn't this doesn't come together. And you see something like Ted Lasso, and at least like you know, you you kind of like you. I, I sometimes think that the, the 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 phrase "you can't be what you can't see" is a little bit trite, but um, I, I actually, with those hyper specific experiences, I think having something reflected back to you can be really helpful. Mm. Um, and I can imagine it would. I I, I, I don't know any you know, um, young gay teenagers who are watching these shows myself, but <laughs> I would like to hope that it's, you know, it's showing them that, you know, these things can coexist and these experiences can coexist and it doesn't make or delegitimize your identify, uh, identity in any way. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, agree. Th I, th I think you're right. The, the nuance isn't quite there yet because we're still at those kind of early stages of, of showing kind of the, that representation, but mm. even shows like yeah, it's been really popular in the last few weeks of I Kissed a Boy, the yeah. gay da it. dating I show. I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, terrible, but two, so great. <laughs> two of the guys in that have spoken about how sport is really important to them. One was a mm. professional tennis player or was trying to be, another is a, foot, a football referee. So that's yeah. kind of, you know, we're seeing sport as not just the stereotype anymore. There are different ways to, to be LGBTQ in sport. And more than anything, that positive representation in reality is what we get from the women's game. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And just before before we go there, just a quick point on, <laughs> on that one. Um, I think one of the things about Ted Lasso in particular is it's actually it makes it safe. So mm. when I was a teenager, there was nothing for me to watch. And I remember like going downstairs after my parents went to bed and putting on like the original Queer Eye because that's all I had. Um, but God forbid they walk down the stairs and mm. see me, you know, watching this. Um, or driving to like God Blockbuster and um, <laughs> at uni and going into the LGBT aisle mm. and there was a player, a men's player on one of the uh, men's varsity teams who was in that aisle too and we both took one look at each other and ran away and, <laughs> and like as we're like reaching for like queer as folk but yeah. all of that stuff it's you don't have to put yourself out there you can watch Ted Lasso which is a football program but you get your queer content anyway and and I think actually if we lead on that's kind of what the women's game is is growing up I would I was so into women's sport playing it watching it everything but I got my queer content through sport, mm -hmm. which was a major, major, major draw. And it just happened to be that I could, you know, express myself physically on the pitch in, and, and that sort of helped me realize I was queer and be around people. But if it, I didn't have to like separate the two, um, but that comes with this whole other 
areas of bad assumptions and people being denied opportunities to play or um, actually the assumption that everything is fine in women's sport when it's it's really not. Mm. Yeah. Could, could I just touch on something very quickly with with um, with with um, queer and gay men especially as well? Um, it, uh, I, it something we don't talk about as much is there's, there's also the opposite effect happening where gay men who have seen sport as a threatening entity, a threatening mm. thing, something that is um, the opposite of their experience or something that is um, inaccessible to them. Um, I think a, a kind of softening to it, or at least like mm. they, they, they being shown something that isn't, you know, isn't so um, aggressive or threatening or doesn't um, uphold those, um, you know, uh, hyper-masculine um, stereotypes um, that I think would make it at, at, at one point or another. I mean, perhaps continuing to say, but like it would make it, you know, would would leave somebody feeling alienated from engaging with it. And I think that's something that disseminates through culture as much as positive queer representation. There's also, it's, it's just about like, kind of like that positive sporting representation for queer audiences mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And as we said earlier, this is all a puzzle and there's the chipping away happens on lots of different areas. The rise of LGBTQ fan groups in this country, mm -hmm. in mm. football, the activations yeah. of rainbow laces mm -hmm. as a campaign and football yeah. v homophobia have all kind of played their part in changing, beginning to ch break down the barriers, challenge the taboos and, and, and everything to do with those, those stereotypes. And, obviously when we do talk about the women's game mm -hmm. we do as you say have this kind of slightly utopian idea about it mm -hmm. as being a, a particularly inclusive culture for everyone but on the flip side again as you alluded to Erin there are assumptions that are made there are stereotypes in a different way to what we find in the men's game yeah. that mm. are sometimes problematic um, or difficult for people to mm -hmm. to handle I mean what, one of the things, you know, as we go into a Women's World Cup, which is obviously coming up, is we will see, you know, a lot of visibility at this tournament. Mm -hmm. But it's we, we need to understand that we're still talking about people's personal lives, their relationships. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and so sometimes that can get quite intrusive, I think, for players. Absolutely. And I think actually sometimes the conversations that have uh, happen around that on sort of, you know, queer um, sort of lesbian, gay, um, you know, bi, non-binary, women-centered spaces um, are harm <laughs> the harmful thing because again, where people are so starved of content that when when you know one player sort of ekes it out, and I think it's gotten better as people have felt more able to come out, and it hasn't been as speculative, but that was happening. You know, and actually, it was coming from our own community. Um, well, I think you know. Jack, you mentioned around you know Jake Daniel's story, and mm -hmm. it shouldn't be sensational. And I absolutely agree, um, but I do want to still keep seeing like you know Sam Kerr winning player of the match in an FA Cup, mm -hmm. and then you know shouting out to her girlfriend who's also happens to be a professional footballer. Um, that's a that's great queer queer representation. You're like you know queers are great at sport. We just won the FA Cup. Sam Kerr just scored two goals, mm -hmm. and I'm not even a Chelsea fan, <laughs> and then I can acknowledge that. And you know that's where we want to. It, it sort of, I don't want to say the word normalizes it, but it queers it. I think that's the yeah. more, the thing. Mm. Um, it takes qu the queerness and says, that's okay. So let's take this and run with it and and shout about it. Um, it doesn't make queer identities into heteronormative identities. It just queers the space slightly. And I think some areas of women's sport and some, some teams are really, really good at that. Mm. What I want that is to be talked about more. Um, spread out more um i'd love to see a ted lasso version with a women's team um who knows mm -hmm. maybe the opposite way we've mm -hmm. got an english football coach going to american coaching i don't know ice hockey <laughs> 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 and and dealing with that way so i think there is something in there but it's um there's a lot of the other when we look at you know misogyny and mm -hmm. a lot of these other areas that come so heavy into sport and affect the ability for you know lesbian and bi cis women to play that it, that completely you know disallow trans women from playing um, that's all wrapped up together and you kind of can't have you can't you can't separate it all needs to be addressed at the same time yeah Jack we're looking at the kind of broader culture there's been a lot of focus in the last few weeks about uh, the actor Elliot Page mm -hmm. who's written his memoir talking about his experiences in Hollywood. 
as part of that, he also talks about when he was a kid wanting to grow up to be a footballer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is uh, somebody who's very relatable for a lot of LGBTQ plus youth, uh, but we don't have those kinds of role models in football, in sport mm -hmm. yet. Um, we've seen Ted Lasso obviously cover this gay footballer storyline. How helpful would it be for sport to have a fictional representation that actually educates a lot of people around gender identity? I, I mean, I'd love to see Elliot Page in a, in a role where, where 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 he's playing like a, a a a trans male footballer or something. I think that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, I think that anything that course corrects the negligible and sometimes abhorrent uh, representation of trans people in uh, the within the media, be it fictional or otherwise, um, is should be encouraged. I think should be embraced. Um, I think there's an audience for it, crucially. Um, and I, yeah, I, 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 I think that any, any way in which we can have positive representation, because this is, this is the, this is the section of the population of the, of the LGBTQ plus population who most desperately need it right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't mean to suggest, um, in a complacent manner that gay cis men have got it all right politically and culturally and you know that we've um, fully uh, I, I hesitate to use the word assimilate but you know we've been accepted and normalized or usualized as used earlier um, so we're all okay however um, I think it's clear to see um, for anybody in the room or for anybody uh, for anybody who has witnessed the abhorred state of um, some reportage around trans issues and sometimes uh, the way that trans people are represented in fiction um it, it's it's in a in a in a in a bad way a very very bad way and that is reflecting on the way that trans people are interacted with um with on a societal level and Aaron, how would that help you in your work? Because obviously you're going into yeah. football clubs, you're talking to young people. Um, there's, we know that the media has encouraged a gay footballer to come out in the men's game for many years, but now we need to educate a lot of people around gender identity in sport too. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I agree with Jack. It would be amazing to see just having those storylines and having the power of what you know the media and TV can do. Um, it's also you know worth saying that you know the more that we have more and more people feeling safe to come out, which is not really the case in the moment. Um, but as that hopefully grows, because mm -hmm. people's lives are important, um, more and more people know trans people. And you know, the recent uh, poll that came out was that one in five people in the UK know a trans person, and they're more likely to be accepting if they, didn't, if they know someone. Um, when I've been in football clubs, we'll have kids put their hands up and be like, oh yeah, my teacher's trans. Um, or we've got a non-binary teacher, my mate's trans. Um, and actually that's, you know, enormous. And these are high-level footballers with contracts at big clubs and they've got, or they just want to know questions about non-binary identities because they're just curious. Or, or they actually really want to get it right. Um, because, you know, su surprise, footballers have empathy and, <laughs> and are nice people. So it will help them understand a lot more um but i think that you know the and i think it will also help adults and those of us who grew up under section 28 who are still struggling to talk about you know lgb lgb stuff mm. be able to actually kind of feel like they can keep up with the kids because at this point in time um you know obviously it's not all sugar and sunshine but <laughs> i think you know when when we speak to young people and whether I'm at, at work or I'm speaking to family members who are teenagers and I say, what does non-binary mean? They give me a picture perfect definition. Hmm. And these are 14 year olds. Hmm. I didn't even know the world word existed until I was in my early thirties. Like, so hmm. it's, it's that level of how do we keep people keeping up? And we know that a massive educational tool for the adults as well is these shows. So why not have more representation, have trans representation show that, you know, trans people can play sport and, aren't taking spots away from from women and I think I would have to be really 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 careful with who was writing those stories and I would want to see it be trans written trans led trans acted um trans produced trans funded mm -hmm. etc ideally um but if done right like we've seen that there are examples that does do it right um I think it can be more powerful than anything and as we kind of bring our conversation to a close, maybe what are our hopes that football might take from this particular Pride Month and some of the things that we've spoken about? For me, 
you know, that episode of Ted, Ted Lasso was not so much about Colin getting the chance to kiss his fella at the end of, of, the, seri- <laughs> of the series, spoiler alert, apologies. But it, it, was, it was more about um, the fact that coming out allowed him to forge a proper friendships yes. that he hadn't really ever been able to have before. He spokes, he speaks in that episode about aching, the, the ache that mm. he's felt. Um, Jack, when you sort of cover this topic in, in, in the work that you mm. do, like what are your hopes, I guess, for, for how culture can influence sport in that way? Well, I, 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 I guess I would just say that, and I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if this is answering your question directly, but I, I, I think that when you look at the wider footballing ecosystem, the dial is moving in the, in the correct, the correct direction. Um, I think within the last 18 months, we've had four male players come out as gay and Jakub Yankto and um and Jake Daniels and um uh, you, you know the, 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 there are other players that his names aren't yeah, jumping straight to mind Josh, Josh, Josh Cavallo, Cavallo thank brilliant. you yes, Sander Murray in Scotland mm-hmm. yeah, would be the other yes one, yeah. yeah thank you very much and uh, a <laughs> lot of names which is a good thing and um, you know you look at uh, solidarity and allyship which is being perpetuated by clubs um, you know I, I went to um, so I'm an Arsenal fan um and I went to Arsenal v Brentford. At the, I think it was the home game would have been towards the beginning of this year, maybe the, the, towards the end of last. It was when we were top of the league. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was actually the game where we should have beat them 2-1, if not for the terrible line drawing. Uh, and uh, anyway, I'm, I'm not salty. And, um, and, and they had, you know, the where the, in place and next to the goals, they typically have those massive flags with the Arsenal's logo on them. They had pride flags, you know, outside the stadium. They had these massive statues that they had erected, um, you know, I'm not sure what material out of, but, you know, of, 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 of like, you know, of pride colours. And, um, you know, a, a, I, I can't recall the specific slogan, but something befitting of solidarity. And, you know, it, it was it was just so touching to me. You know, it, it kind of went beyond this kind of tokenistic gesturing that you maybe expect some years ago um and you know it, it is at least creating a place where you know if there is a gay player out there who is harboring a secret as i think um colin describes it in ted lasso in, in, at one point um hopefully they'd feel better equipped to be honest and open if that's what they want to do i mean fundamentally it's a question of what the person and the individual wants to do and everything else means nothing but you know it would if if it, it's good to see that the footballing world is moving into is moving in in a direction where i think i'd like to think that that person would feel more comfortable and actively feel embraced oh, i i i completely agree with that i think the other part of that that colin says is he doesn't want to be a spokesperson which right. i guess is something that mm. yeah. any closeted perhaps gay or by male footballers in the pro game might particularly relate to mm-hmm. uh erin um jack just mentioned some of the great visibility that arsenal yes. as an example kind of have introduced that's something that you must kind of hope to see more of in pride month there is a lot in mm-hmm. the us but maybe not so much over here yet yeah i mean i think in 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 june um and in well in in sport in the uk um, it tends to follow a diff- slightly different season. I mean, US summer sports, we've still got the NHL going on in June. You've still got the NBA, baseball starting. It's a big month. Um, whereas here, you know, it it, ma- it mirrors it with Rainbow Laces season is massive um, in November. Then we've got LGBT History Month in February, football v. homophobia in February. So it it tends to go through a slightly different calendar with different sports picking it up as as they go along. Um, but what some one thing we've seen with Rainbow Laces over the years is, you know, the from the first ten years ago of people sort of saying, "Ooh, should I put these in?" to real conversations being started, real learning opportunities. Um, I was really lucky to work on the Liverpool video, well, from a distance, but that uh, Liverpool put out with Michaela Moore, one of the women's players, and Jurgen mm. Klopp, and you know his real openness to to learn and to ask questions and that's been 
that's come up a few times. I know Wolves did one um, that I always make people watch with Ali Miller and Connor Cody. Um, Connor Cody's been such been so, such a fantastic ally. Like, he's so been the great. epitome yeah. of, of 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 solidarity Absolutely. and just just the model for it. Really has been. And what I love about that actually is Ali as a as a women's team player as a cis woman. Um, speaks very highly about trans inclusion and completely bucks that thought that like you know elite women's athletes don't want trans people playing she's like Mm. she uses the platform where she could be talking about lesbian inclusion to talk about trans allyship um and then chloe morgan and jack butlin did one at palace when they were both there so it's little goalie chat i think it's 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 coming more and more and more and i think the more we see these genuine conversations and actually listen to what the players have to say because Out of all of those, I mean, we talk about Ali doing that and Connor. Some of the, some of the stuff that Jack Butlin said, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. I didn't know you were that much of an ally. I've never even considered that perspective and I live and breathe this. That's mm-hmm. a great point. Thank you for bringing this up. I hope everybody sees it. Mm-hmm. So these footballers are are smart. They have thoughts about teammates and they have thoughts about this is what they do professionally. This is why they pay the, the big money. And it's not just running around. It's throwing themselves heavily into things that are increasingly we're seeing with um, the Ted Lasso point around sports psychologists and I could sit here forever and talk about sports psychologists but how useful they are mm-hmm. in in this that's happening in clubs and the more that people are thinking the deeper thoughts about football the more or whatever sport you're playing the more those those thoughts of empathy and allyship come up because it, being an ally and being a teammate are basically the same thing Mm. so it kind of fits naturally hand in hand um i just want to see more of it put out there whether or not it's in fictional things or pro you know the the actual players speaking themselves yeah and and i mean on the subject of um players and pundits who have been contributing in a really meaningful way and i think graham soonest as well is somebody who really deserves a shout out Mm -hmm. like he's Mm -hmm. i remember that there there, there was that specific video that circulated online you know this this he spoke with such clarity um you know and you you you, you, you forgive anybody for expecting somebody of, of a certain age to maybe have a more conservative perspective on queerness especially coming from um that kind of social background being like being a footballer like 40 years ago you know it's an entirely different kind of culture um and no i mean it was really fantastic and refreshing to see and mm. like and it, and it means so much more because it comes from like it's a bit like um i i hope i'm not making a reductive comparison here but i think somebody who's really turned the dial being an arsenal fan um on women's football and men engaging with women's football is actually in right yes and, I, and everybody loves him for it yeah it's exactly highly yeah absolutely yeah. love yeah. it yeah i mean of all, of all the work that I was able to do on Rainbow Laces when I was at Sky Sports and in a, in, a, in my full-time role was, uh, you know, that Graeme Souness conversation was the most impactful thing. And it wasn't a rainbow ident. It wasn't, mm. a, you know, it was a one-on-one chat of somebody talking about going to a Pride event mm. and the change it had had on them. And, mm-hmm. you know, as as we've seen with Colin and Trent, it starts with a conversation. It can unlock so much. Mm-hmm. And and I really hope that our conversation today has been able to do that for any, <laughs> any of the people who have been listening to this podcast, because yeah. we hope that this Pride Month is as much for them as it is for any of the LGBTQ plus people in football, whether they're out or not, who um, who it will mean a lot personally to those individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Football Co Business Podcast. I want to thank Erin Williams and Jack King for their uh, contributions today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, look forward to being with you again on the next episode. Business podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.